Father, we thank you so much that we can open up your word, the Bible. We thank you that we can cry out to you and draw near to the throne of grace. Because you bid us to come. You invite us to come. We can come to you knowing that you are the holy, holy, holy God. At the same time, you are our Abba Father. And you tell us to come, to come with boldness, to come with confidence to the throne of grace. We can open our mouth wide and you will fill it. And so we pray, O God, that in the reading of the word and now in the preaching of the word of God, that you would come with great power, that you would anoint the preaching of the word that you would grant great divine strength and unction by the power of the Holy Spirit so that Jesus would be praised, so that we would love him more and that we would draw near to the throne of grace even more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn with me in your copy of the Bible to Hebrews chapter 4. If you're visiting today, we are studying through the book of Hebrews We are in chapter 4, and we are going slowly through the end of chapter 4 because it is such an important and such a transitional part of the book of Hebrews. And then next week in chapter 5, we'll pick up speed a little bit more and take it paragraph by paragraph. And that's what we do. We preach in an expository way. So the Word of God, the meaning of the Word, is the main meaning of the sermon. That's the main point of the sermon. And I preach through books of the Bible so that we get the full counsel of God. Every doctrine that God has given in the Word, we want to know it and we want to study it together. I remember it was years ago. It was a quiet morning. I was here at church, and I was doing my sermon preparation as I am in the mornings, and I was in the lower level, and I had my computer open, I had my Bibles open, I had commentaries kind of surrounding me on the perimeter of my desk, and my phone rang. My phone rang, and I answered the phone, and it was my dad. And my dad said, I need you to come here now. I said, why? He said, well, you won a contest. I said, how? He said, well, I entered you into the contest and you won. I said, what is it? He said, well, it's a competition. It's a challenge. It's a, it's a hockey competition. And I, I need you right now. I said, where? He said, downtown. I said, when? He said, right now. Right now. And I, I said, okay, so if, if I've been entered into a contest, evidently I won the contest, I have to go downtown right now with no further delay. All of those questions, how, who, when, where, why, all of those questions drove me to action. I got up, I packed up my bags, I put it all in the car, and I flew downtown to be a part of this competition that evidently my dad had entered me into, and I had won, and I had to be a part of the rest of the day's activities. What's the point of all of that? I didn't know why. I didn't know where. I didn't know how. I didn't know how I was entered in this whole thing. But all of the questions and figuring out the answers drove me to action. 
That's exactly what our verse does today. That's exactly what our verse today, when we ask the questions, why, how, what, where, when, what's the meaning of all of this? When we rightly understand the verse before us today, it must drive us to action, immediate action. Follow with me as I read Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 16. Here's the word of the Lord. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Did you hear that? Do you see the glory of that verse? Let me read it again. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. About 400 years ago, there was a man by the name of David Dixon. He preached on this verse, and he said, these words are the most comforting section of Scripture. Another commentator this week in my study said, what encouraging words we have right here in Hebrews 4. You know the name John Bunyan. John Bunyan wrote a lengthy treatise on this verse, and he said, these are the excellent benefits that we have in the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon preached on this verse, and he called it that gracious verse. Another preacher, another commentator said, quote, sinners are no longer commanded to keep their distance from God. But now sinners are are invited to draw near, and we are invited to draw near with confidence to the very throne of God. You know, the question before us today is a very important one. It's the question of all questions at your workplace. It's the most important question that could ever be asked. On your college and university campus, it is the most most important question that could ever be asked. In the context of your family, it is the most important question that could ever be asked and answered. It's this, can a sinner have access to God? Can we really have direct access to God? And I am here today to tell you from God's word that access to God is possible. It is possible even for the worst of sinners. But access is only possible if you come through God's appointed mediator. There's only one way to God. And Jesus emphatically declared, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father but through me, John 14, verse 6. We also know that it is through the Lord Jesus Christ and by him alone that we have access to God. We don't need a pope. We don't need a priest. We don't need Mary. We don't need the angels. We don't need good works. And no tears that you could ever shed could ever obtain access to God. None of that will do. Only Jesus Christ alone. 
He is the great high priest. And what we have today in verse 16 is a most precious and a most encouraging portion in the Bible on, get this, prayer. Prayer. Prayer is coming to God. Prayer is drawing near to God. Prayer is coming to God at any time. And hear this, church family. God is an inviting high priest. Jesus invites you to come. He's not pushing you away at arm's length. He's not saying you had a bad day. You had a bad week. I can't believe you gave into that sin. Stay away for a while. He doesn't do that. Child of God, Jesus invites you to draw near. And we've been looking at these verses. Look with me at chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. We've been looking at these verses because it really kind of opens the door to the whole rest of the book of Hebrews. Look at verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed all the way through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession Because we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. We see in chapter 4 right there that we have a great high priest, and therefore we are to hold fast our confession. Because Jesus is the only one who can bring us to God, we must hold fast. So the confession that we have in our faith. There's a bookend here. It's in chapter 10. We read in chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 21, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart. Verse 23 even tells us to hold fast the confession of our hope. So in chapter 4 and chapter 10, we have bookends and everything in the middle, chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, is all going to explain what does it mean? What does it mean that we have a high priest? What does it mean that we have direct access to God? How does this happen? How does it work? How does it come to you? And oh, to behold the glory of it. We will see that in coming weeks and coming months. But again, I want you to look at verse 16, because I'm not sure if there is an invitation in all the Bible that is as lavish and free and open and inviting as this. Draw near. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. This is one of the greatest invitations that you could ever be given in all of the universe, and it's yours today. Draw near to the throne of grace. But there's a problem. There's a problem. There's a huge problem. And his name is Satan. Satan has a chief strategy. You want to hear what it is? It is to keep you from the throne of grace. One of the chief strategies of Satan is to keep you from the throne of grace, to prevent you from coming to the throne of grace. And by way of introduction, I want to give you a few ways that Satan does this. If you're like me, these might resonate with you because they're true of my own life as well. 
What are strategies that Satan has to keep you from the throne of grace? Number one, busyness. Busyness, my own busyness, your busyness. Man, we are busy people. We're busy dads, we're busy moms, we're busy workers, we're busy husbands, we're busy wives, we're busy church members, we're busy, 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 busy. Don't let your busyness keep you from the throne of grace. Another strategy that Satan loves to use, I think it's one of the finest tools that he has, sadly, it's that of unapproachableness, meaning, oh God, God is too busy. He's got too much going on. Is he really going to hear my prayer? Is he really going to answer my prayer? I mean, I could pray for the president. I could pray for the vice president. I could pray for the nations. I could pray for Israel. I could pray for all that's going on. But really, does God really care? Is God really going to answer? I mean, is God really going to take my weak prayer and do anything with it? That idea of unapproachableness. Satan loves that strategy that God is too busy. He's unapproachable. Third, I think another strategy that Satan uses is your own sinfulness. Your own sinfulness. Man, I had a really bad day. I had a bad week. I willfully gave into that sin. How could I ever come to God in prayer right now? Number four. The strategy of uselessness. Does it work? Does it really work? I mean, I pray for my children's salvation. I I pray for the lost. I pray for my campus. I, I pray for revival. But is it really useful? Is God really gonna answer my prayers? Number five, another strategy that Satan uses is our own forgetfulness. We, we know we should pray. We got a good theology of prayer, but we can often forget to pray. We can post something on Facebook. We can post it on Twitter. We can text another friend. We can do anything and everything but pray sometimes. Number six, another strategy that Satan uses is our own worldliness. We are so caught up in the things of this world, and by that I don't just mean sin, I just mean worldly distractions, just the things of the world and the important things and the essential things. Number seven, I think another strategy that Satan uses so often in the life of the Christian is our own unwatchfulness, our unwatchfulness, meaning I pray, but then I leave it. It's like ringing the doorbell, but then I run away and don't see if he opens the door. We have to pray, and we have to tarry, and we have to linger, and we have to wait to see how God is going to work. Satan. Satan would love to keep you from the throne of grace. Can I remind you, church family, Satan is not, he's not afraid of my preaching if I preach in the strength of men. He's not afraid of our church ministry if we do it in the strength of men. He's not afraid of our evangelism if we do that in the strength of men. He's not afraid of your family if you try to live out your roles in the family in the strength of men. You know what he's afraid of? You drawing near to the throne of grace. He's afraid of you drawing near to the throne of grace. And yet here we have today the invitation of all invitations. Come! Draw near. God wants you to come to the throne of grace. As I mentioned in my opening illustration, 
about that contest that I was entered into, asking the who, what, where, when, why, how questions drove me to action. We want to do that of our verse so that we will be driven to action. If you're taking notes, I want to give you the simple sermon outline. Even boys and girls, you can write down these main points as well if you have your bulletin and a pen near you. We're going to ask the questions of the text and let the text answer all of those questions. Number one, who? Who? Number two, what? Number three, where? Number four, how? Number five, why? Number six, when? Who, what, where, how, why, when, when we ask the questions and we get the answer, it will drive us to, 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 to action, I believe, if we rightly understand the word. So let's begin by asking the first question of our passage. It's the question, who? Who? Look at verse 16. Who is this speaking to? Therefore, let us draw near. Who is the us? Let us draw near. The, 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 the answer to that who question is those who personally have Jesus Christ as my great high priest. If you're a Christian here today and you have come to God through Jesus Christ, if you have been purified from all of your sin, Hebrews 1.3 says, If Jesus is bringing many sons to glory, and you're included in that number, Hebrews 2.10, if Jesus has made a propitiation for all of your sin by shielding you from the wrath of God, you are a part of this number. If you are partakers of Christ, as Hebrews 3.14 says, if we who believe have entered that rest that God has provided, like Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3 says, and even verse 14 of chapter 4, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. If that is you, you are part of the us in verse 16. Let us draw near. This is for Christians. It is for all believers. It is for every single child of God. Every single Christian is invited to draw near. I love how Isaiah chapter 55 in verse 7 gives such a wonderful gospel call. If you're here today today and you're not a true Christian, if you're here today and you don't have direct access to God because you're trying to get to God by your own effort, And if you were to die today and stand before God and God would say, why should I let you into heaven? And your answer has anything to do with what you've done for God, you're lost. And so Isaiah 55 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked man forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and God will have compassion on him. I love that. God will have compassion on him and God will abundantly pardon. So here's the diagnostic question. Who? Who who can come to God? You go to your Jewish friend. You go to your Muslim friend. You go to your Buddhist friend. You go to your Catholic friend. You're going to get a lot of answers from a lot of different people. 
But our passage teaches that every single Christian has access to God. Hear this, even boys and girls, I want you to hear this. God's front door is always open for you. Man, your neighbor's front door isn't always open for you. But God's front door is always open, always open to those who draw near to God through Jesus Christ. God's door is not shut. His door is not locked. His door is always open. Is that comfort? It's great comfort. But you know what? I want you to hear very carefully. This is an absolutely gigantic problem for the Roman Catholic religion. This is a huge problem. I want to tell you the words of one Roman Catholic priest. When he was asked the question, how do you as a priest, how do you confess your sin? He said this, quote, well, I confess my sins in a manner identical to every other practicing Catholic. I confess to another priest. I can do so in one of two ways. I go to a confession in a parish church at one of the regularly scheduled times, or maybe I just go to another priest and I I tap him on the shoulder and I say, will you please hear my confession? In which the two men would go into a room, they would close the door for privacy, and then they would have the sacrament of penance or the sacrament of confession, where a bishop, a cardinal, a pope, all of them confess to any priest who would ever be available. I'll support what that person said with what another Roman Catholic monk said. Quote, remember that in the, sacrifice, or in the sacrament of confession, every Roman Catholic priest is acting officially in persona Christi, that is, taking the place of God so that the confession is, in a real but spiritual sense, confessing your sin directly to God. You want to hear the right response to that? Blasphemy. It's blasphemy. It's why we absolutely hate the Roman Catholic system. It is the devil's masterpiece. It has no saving value at all. Because our verse in Hebrews 4 verse 16 shatters the Roman Catholic religion. It shatters it. Jesus said in John 10, I am the door, you must enter through me. In John 14, 6, no one comes to the Father but through me. 2 Corinthians 5.18, God reconciled us to himself through Christ. We draw near to Jesus, our high priest. You don't go to a confession booth. You don't go to a priest in a box and confess your sin to a man who says that he's acting in the place of Christ. That's satanic. We come to Jesus. He alone is our high priest. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. It could not be clearer. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. We do that through the blood of Christ. We do it because we have a great Savior. Who? Who can draw near? Answer, 
every Christian, every child of God. Boys and girls, you put your faith in Jesus Christ and the front door of God is always open and he invites you to come anytime, any place. You can always draw near to God. That's who. There's another question that we have to ask if you're taking notes. Number two, what? What what do we do? What what do we do? Look at our verse in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near. I find that interesting, come near. Because if you and I remember Exodus chapter 3, when God met Moses at the burning bush, you know what God said? Don't come near. Remove your sandals. For the place where you're standing is holy ground. God even said in Exodus chapter 18 or Exodus 19, God said, don't let the people of Israel come up on Mount Sinai. Don't even let them touch Mount Sinai or you'll die and the Lord will break out against you. But now, now, through Jesus Christ, God says to you, come. He he says, draw near. He he says, you can approach me. You know, in the Old Testament times, the language of drawing near to God, the language of coming near to God was a very technical word used in the Torah, particularly the book of Leviticus, where only the priests could approach God by means of their sacrifices in the tabernacle courts. But if you're lame, if you're maimed, if you've been bloody, if you've touched a dead person, you cannot approach God. You cannot draw near. You're unclean. And yet, right here is the same language, the same idea that you and I can come near. You and I can draw near to our God. Let me show you how the book of Hebrews even brings this out. If you look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19, the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there's a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Look at Hebrews 7, verse 25. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1 brings out the same truth. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. I mean, you could never be cleansed by the sacrifices if you draw near to God year by year by year by year. Verse 22 of chapter 10, Hebrews says, Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. I mean, do do you hear the beauty of this, Christian? That you are invited by God to draw near to God. I mean, this is something that the Old Testament Israelite couldn't do anytime they wanted. They couldn't do it anytime they felt like it. But yet through the one-time atoning sacrifice of Jesus, all sins for God's people have been canceled. 
They've been erased in full. You have been united to Jesus Christ for all of eternity. You now have a free, open, unhindered access to the very holy of holies to have the full presence of God and the full ear of God anytime you want. It is the throne of God's majestic sovereignty. And it's all accomplished by God through Christ for you. I love the words of one hymn of old. Listen to this. Approach my soul, the mercy seat. When Jesus answers prayer, there humbly fall before his feet, for no one can perish there. Oh, wondrous love to bleed and die, to bear the cross in shame, that guilty sinners such as I might plead thy gracious name. John Newton had it right. Approach my soul, the mercy seat. Go, go to the mercy seat. Go to the mercy seat again and again and again. And do you want to know how fearful this would have been? Remember the book of Esther? Remember the book of Esther? Remember chapter 4, how all of the king's servants and the, the king's provinces knew that if there was any man or woman who came to the king in the inner court who hadn't been summoned, I mean, they could have been put to death. Esther knew that. And she said, Mordecai, I can't go. I haven't been summoned. In chapter 5, Esther, after praying and mustering up the courage, she came into the courts of king. And when the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court, she obtained favor in his sight. And the king extended the golden scepter to Esther. And she came near and she touched the top of the staff. I mean, what trembling she had. What fear she had. I don't know if he's going to allow me to come. And yet, Christian, you come to the king of the universe. You can draw near to the king of glory. You can draw near to the king who has already ordained the end from the beginning. You can draw near to the God who has named every star in every galaxy and he does it effortlessly. You can come near to this God. Who? All Christians. What? Come near. We have to ask a third, a third question if you're taking notes. And the question is, where? Where? What do we do? Verse 16, back to Hebrews 4. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. It is a throne of grace. Never forget this. It's a throne because God can handle it as a king. It's a throne of grace because God wants to help in tender mercy. It is a throne signifying power. It is a throne of grace signifying pity. I think every dad and mom appreciates this, that when your child is learning to speak, when your child is learning to pray, and, and your, your, your child is on your lap, perhaps in a family worship time, and that young little child is praying, he is pronouncing words imperfectly. And no doubt there are 
blunders and some theology, and the words aren't always perfect. And sometimes the grammar is not always right, and there can be a lot of repetition sometimes in their praying. But you, you as the dad, and you as the mom, you know your child. And you know what they're praying, and you know what they're asking, and you love them, and you're tender to them, and you want to help them, and you will teach them, and you don't shame them, but you help them. You need to go to God like that. You need to go to God like that, where you crawl into your father's lap, as John Calvin defined prayer, crawling into your father's lap, and you tell him what's on your heart. You unburden your heart before God. You confess your faults, you confess your cares, because God loves you, he knows you, he helps you, he's interested in your life, he's eager to help you. Maybe you need to hear this and be reminded of what 1 Peter chapter 5 says. It says that you, Christian, need to cast all of your anxiety upon God, listen carefully, because... He cares for you. I mean, your coworkers may not care for you, but God cares for you. He cares for you. And so the question, when, when we are asking where, where do we go? We come to the throne of the king, and it's a throne of grace. It is a throne of power and a throne of pity. It is a place where the king of the universe is filled with love, and he invites you to come. I mean, what prevents us from coming to the throne? Why are you and I apprehensive about coming to the throne. Let me give you two verses. In Psalm 81, verse 10, God says this, open your mouth wide. Imagine a little, a, a little, a little baby bird, a little chick, And the mama bird is coming, and that little baby bird opens the mouth wide, and the mama bird feeds. It's that image. God says, open your mouth wide, wider, and I will fill it. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it, Psalm 81 says. And then Ephesians 3 tells us that God is able to do far more abundantly beyond what we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Christian, hear that. God, God wants you to come. He wants you to come to the throne of grace. Why are you and I apprehensive? Why are you preventing ourselves from coming? Why are we hindered from coming? Think about that. What is it in your life that hinders you from coming to the throne of the king? The king of all power and grace and love and mercy and ability. He says, come. You can't ask anything too big. You can't ask anything too small. You can't be specific enough and you can't be broad enough. Everything in the middle. 
bring it to the throne of grace. That's where we go. Who's invited to come? All Christians. Number two, what must we do? We must draw near. Third, where? We come to the throne. If you're taking notes, write down number four. How? I mean, Esther was like, I don't know if I can go to the king. I mean, he he may not extend the scepter to me. She was timid. She was fearful. She wasn't sure. How? Do you see it in verse 16? Let us draw near with confidence. Confidence. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10 verse 22 that we can come near with full assurance. James says that we can ask in faith without doubting and it will be given to us. Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 7 that we ought to ask and it will be given. We ought to seek and we will find. We ought to knock and the door will be opened. Ephesians 3 tells us that we have boldness and confident access through faith in Christ. I mean, Christian, we have every reason to come Boldly. Look. Look at verse 16. Do you see that there in your Bible? Let us draw near with confidence. Interesting Greek word confidence here. It's the opposite of distrust. It's the opposite of fearfulness. You go to somebody who's really, really mad at you and they're really, really powerful, you might, you might fear. You might fear. But yet that's not how we ought to approach God. The word here in verse 16 that we draw near with confidence means that you are unafraid, get this, to come right to God, to lay it all out before God, and to believe fully in God. You're unafraid, unafraid to come right to God, to lay it all out before God, and believe fully in God. When the Bible says that we can draw near to the throne with confidence, it means that you don't need to shrink away in fear. You don't need to shrink away in fear. I mean, am I going to be rejected? Is he going to turn away from me? Is he going to reject me? Is he going to to abandon me? Is Is he going to chastise me? Is he going to reprove me? No, no, no. Don't come with that attitude. We ought to come with confidence. And we ought to come with unashamedness as well. Full transparency. Almost like a freeness in speaking. Remember that account in Acts chapter 4 when the Jewish leaders who are very hostile to the early church, they see that Peter and John and the apostles are untrained, uneducated men, but they had just been with Jesus. They were just normal, untrained guys. But here's the word. They were preaching with all boldness. They were unashamed They were unashamed to confidently, fearlessly, powerfully declare their God. We need to come before God like this as well. 
Do you hear that? I mean, here's the God of the world. The God of the world inviting me, inviting you, Christian, to come unafraid to God, to lay it all out, to believe fully in God and to know that he cares, to know that he will help. So let me take that principle and give you a pastoral exhortation. Church family, don't be tentative in your praying. Don't be occasional in your praying. Don't be unbelieving in your praying. Don't be timid in your praying. Don't be fearful in your praying. Look, you can't ask too much from God. You can't come to Him too often. You can't come before him with an issue too big. So bring it. Come before God. Bring it boldly, with confidence, with unashamedness, unafraid to God, because he cares. And he wants you to come. If you're taking notes, I think inevitably with an offer like this, we might ask, number five, the why question. So why? I mean, I, I get the who, I get the what, I get the where, I get the how, but, but, but why? Number five, why? Why does God invite us to come near to him? Look at verse 16. There's a so that clause. So that, here's the purpose, the why. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Guess what? It's quite humbling. That means we're weak. And that means we need help. But it means that God's throne is always available because we can come to God and receive mercy and grace. There was a man leaving the abortion mill, leaving the abortion mill a couple of weeks ago and came out with his lady. She had just gotten the procedure done. And when that happens, I boldly, but yet compassionately, tell them that we're here to help, that we offer free biblical counseling, that when the guilt, when the shame, when the pain intensifies, you reach out to us and we'll help you. The man with an angry face turned at me and he said, I'm Muslim. And I said, sir, Allah doesn't exist. And it was as if the world just stopped. And he couldn't believe that someone said that to him. You want to know why? Because the only true and living God is the God of mercy. He's the God of grace. He's the God of love. That's not Allah. But the true and living God is the one that we can come to and receive mercy and we can find grace. You know what? Boys and girls, look at me for a sec. One of the greatest reasons that you have to come to Christ is not only to go to heaven, that's great. Not only to be forgiven of your sin, that's great. But hear this, boys and girls, if you come to Jesus Christ and believe in him, listen, you always have a place to go. 
You always have a place to go, and that's to the throne of God to receive mercy and to receive grace from God and his heart of love. The word mercy, if you look here in verse 16, I want to define this for you, because in our English mercy, we we sing it, we talk about it, we sometimes don't know what it means. The word in Greek for mercy is a tender, compassionate feeling, get this, get this, that runs into action. It's a tender, emotional feeling that runs into action where God sees our pitiful condition and he runs into action. Receive mercy. But not only do we receive mercy, we also find grace. What's grace? Well, grace is the goodness and the power and the love of God, get this, toward the absolute undeserving. The mercy of God is the emotional, the tender, the affection for God where he sees you in your perishing condition and God runs to you like the prodigal son account. That's mercy. The grace of God is God's mercy and goodness and love toward, not the neutral, but the undeserving. We deserve judgment, but he showers mercy upon us. You can come to God when you're needy. You can come to God when you're hurt. You can come to God when you're weak. You can come to God when you've sinned. You can come to God when there's nowhere else to go. You can come to God when everything and everyone in the world seems to be against you. You can always come to the throne of grace. Why? To receive mercy from God and find grace. Do you hear the motivation? So come. Come to the throne of grace. Well, the who, what, where, when, why questions. All these diagnostic questions, the verses answered all of them, but there's one left. And if you're taking notes, it's number six. And it's the question, when? When? Well, the Roman Catholic priest would say, well, you can be forgiven when you come for the sacrament of penance. And you confess your sin to a priest who's acting in the place of Christ. No. No, that's not what we need. We, I need to know when can I come to God. I need to know when can I find this grace and receive this mercy. I need to know when is it available. And look at the end of verse 16. The answer is right here. In the time of need. God gives you mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. You know, that word help, if you take notes in your Bible, you should, you should mark this. The word for help is that of somebody crying out and someone running to give aid at the perfect time. Think of it like a football player on the field. 
And let's just say that they have a play and the, and, the, and the ball is hiked, but yet the person on the field, he breaks his leg. What happens? Well, they come out. I mean, the medical personnel, they come out in that time of need and they attend to him and they take him off and they do what is needed in that time. At the appropriate time, at the appropriate moment, when that cry for help comes, God comes to assist at the perfect moment. He's never late. He's never delayed. He is always on time. We think God delays. But when God delays... In our estimation, that's just part of our character building process. It's like Israel who cried for help when they were in bondage in Egypt. Deuteronomy 33 says, There's no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides on the heavens to your help. King Asa, going out to battle, he cried out to the Lord, Help us, O Lord our God. Nehemiah said, all the walls of Jerusalem have been rebuilt with the help of our God. Why all these prayers? Why all these descriptions? Because people are weak and people are needy and they cry out to God and God comes at the right time like a loving parent running to rescue in a timely way. That's what God does. So, Do you have any fears? Come to God and he'll help you in the time of need. Do you battle loneliness in your life? I've learned in my biblical counseling studies, it's one of the greatest problems that Christians face is that of loneliness. Come and find help in the God who always stands ready to assist. Do you have temptations in your life? Temptations to sin. God stands ready to help. Are you uncertain of the future and and what God is going to do and how you're going to make decisions? Then you come and find help from this God in your time of need. Do you battle conflicts and quarrels and arguments? You come to this God and he will give you mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. Do you have sins? and faults and iniquities and even hidden failures come to God and receive mercy and grace to help you in the time of need. What an amazing God. What an amazing God. Can I say it again? The front door of God. The front door of God is always wide open for the child of God. You don't need to come and wonder if God cares. You don't need to come to God and draw near and wonder if he's going to hear you. You you don't need to wonder if God is going to listen to your prayer or if he's going to answer based upon the authority of the word. He will. And the king himself calls you to draw near, to draw near, to draw near. Come to the throne of grace. Needy, needy Christian, come to the throne of grace. Self-righteous, self-trusting sinner, 
lost in your unbelief. You need to draw near to God through this great high priest and cry out for his mercy. You who are helpless and fearful, come. You who have uncertainties ahead of you in life, come to the throne of grace. He invites you to come. What a great verse. What a great invitation. And just like at the very beginning with that story, guess what? If we understand all the who, what, where, when, why, how questions, it ought to draw us to action. Church family, it's one thing to hear a message about drawing near, but it's quite another thing to actually draw near. Tonight, tomorrow morning, draw near to the throne of grace and you will find mercy. I want to close by telling you of a, of a true story. I just, I, I read it and I thought it was just a perfect conclusion to this. A true story told of a teenager who received a text message. The text message on the teenager's phone said, come to grandmother's Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> the teenager read that and he got all excited. And, but yet come to find out the grandmother accidentally sent the invite to the wrong number. So she invited the wrong guy to the Thanksgiving feast. So the boy is a 17-year-old young guy from Arizona. He received a text accidentally sent by a grandma, and he received this invitation, and, and he said, who is this inviting me to the Thanksgiving feast? And she said, it's your grandmother. Please come to the Thanksgiving meal. Well, after they texted a little bit more, they both soon realized that she wasn't his grandma and he wasn't her grandson. But then the young teenager, with a little bit of boldness and unashamedness and courage, he said, well, ma'am, since you already gave me the invitation, can I still come by for a plate of food? She replied via text and said, of course you can. That's what grandmas do. We just feed everyone. So come on by. So he got in the car on Thanksgiving Day and drove himself across town, showed up at the front door, and when the grandmother opened the door, he met her for the very first time, and they greeted each other with a hug. He sat down at the table with the family and enjoyed a plate of over the Thanksgiving feast. And I thought to myself, now that's a nice story. But how much more so with Jesus? I mean, he, he doesn't just give you a plate of food. He gives you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And he doesn't just send you a text message by accident. Oops, I didn't mean to invite you to the throne of grace. No, he calls you by name and he summons you and he invites you to come to God individually, personally, constantly. Jesus does not just give you a plate of Thanksgiving food and sends you off. You know what he does? He satisfies you. He secures you. He cares for you. He loves you. He stays faithful to you. And unlike that grandmother, 
Jesus is the King of glory. And he says, you, come, come to the throne. Come anytime, come at any place, come for any reason. I'm here, I'm always available. You come to the throne of grace. You find anything and everything you want or your need in me. And I will satisfy all of your desires. What a great savior we have. What a motivation we have to come boldly to the throne of grace. Church family, as we go from here to dinner here in just a few minutes after we sing, ponder that. Talk about that together. As you drive home from here, think about how can I not just hear it and apply it, but implement that into my life. May we be hearers and doers of the word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the throne of grace that is available to us. Be glorified in helping us hear and respond and obey the word by drawing near to this great throne of grace to receive mercy and find help Grace in times of need. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.